coming up. All we are is dust in the wind, dude. Ancient wisdom for modern times. Can the Greek virtues of citizenship save us from looming ecological disaster? The problem is hubris and greed and heedlessness and stupidity, which are exactly the inverse of Plato's virtues. Those are the Greek vices. Our guest is Melissa Lane, author of Eco Republic, What the Ancients Can Teach Us About Ethics, Virtue, and Sustainable Living. The Greeks weren't thinking about ecological sustainability, of course, but they were thinking about social and psychological stability. And so my message is, that kind of stability has to be at the heart of what we mean by sustainability. Recorded live as part of the Stanford Continuing Studies series, The Art of Living. Ancient wisdom for modern times. Dust. Win. Dude. Coming up on Philosophy Talk. This is Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the Stanford University campus. This program is part of the Stanford Continuing Study Series, The Art of Living. Our thinking originates on the other side of the quad at Philosopher's Corner. That's where Ken and I teach philosophy. Welcome, everyone, to Philosophy Talk. Today, ancient wisdom for modern times. Specifically, the wisdom of the ancient Greeks, in particular, Plato and Aristotle. Now, there are other wise and ancient philosophers like Confucius, but today our focus is on the Greeks. Now, you might wonder why. Most Greeks thought the earth was flat, slavery was okay, and women were second-class people. Plato rose above some of that, but he thought that democracy sucked, poetry and drama were bad things, and that freedom of speech was a joke. He even thought that philosophers, of all people, should be kings. So, Ken, where's the wisdom in all that? Well, uh, no doubt about it, John. The Greeks got lots of things wrong, but they also got a lot right. And we moderns would do well to appreciate and adopt some of their wisdom, especially their wisdom about their ethical wisdom. I don't suppose you mean about slavery and women. No, no, I mean their wisdom about virtue and vice. The, the Greeks had a very profound understanding, very profound, of the nature of human virtue and, and of human vice. Somewhere along the line, Modern philosophy sort of lost track of that understanding. Well, that's because modern ethical theory followed in the footsteps of Kant, Bentham, and Mill. They're more focused on the right than on the good. The right versus the good. Now, that's a good distinction, but I think you need to explain that distinction. Well, when the Greeks thought about ethics, what they had in mind was the nature of a good or a well-lived human life. Their topic was the good. Their basic ethical question, what does it take for a human being to live well and thrive? And, and modern philosophers? Well, their basic ethical question is, what are the moral rules that govern our interactions with others? The Greeks were far less concerned with rules than the moderns. They were more concerned with the cultivation of virtues like courage, honor, moderation, and the like. And, you know, with our focus on rules, we've lost something that the Greeks understood. And I actually think, John, that a lot of our problems 
are due to an excess of vice and a shortage of virtue. Well, you know, maybe, could be, but let's give modernism its due. Mill, for example, had the great idea that we should all be free to do whatever we want as long as we don't hurt others. That's plausible. Mandeville pointed out that greed may be a private vice, but it's a public virtue. Greedy people do big things. They create jobs. Then they die and give their money to found universities. <laughs> you, can, you can add to your pantheon uh, Adam Smith, John. He, he thought that if we each pursue our own desires, the market's invisible hand will ensure the best result for all. It, it sounds like you agree with this. You sound like Gordon Gecko. Greed is good. Is that what you think? Well, I haven't swallowed the whole glass of Kool-Aid, but let's admit it, the system has worked well for the United States. Lots of freedom, not a lot of virtue, lots of greed, lots of wealth. Maybe Plato and Aristotle were wrong and Gordon Gecko had it right. I, I just don't know. I, I look at our situation differently. Look, if you bungee jump off a cliff and you don't realize that your cord is torn, you're going to feel quite exhilarated. You think you're well off. But you're not. You're cruising for a serious bruising, dude. That, that's the position modern society is in. Well, Mr. Smiley Face, why don't you tell me a little more? C consumerism and greed, what the Greeks would think of as appetites run wild, appetites run amok. They've led us into a series of financial debacles and have propelled us into a huge ecological crisis. And only our willful ignorance about the future, what the Greeks would call hubris, can make us feel good about the situation of modernity. So kind of what you're telling me is if we just take on the ancient Greek virtues of moderation and civic-mindedness, we might actually be able to ameliorate our ecological disaster? You, you, you sound skeptical, but, but I know you. I know that in your moderate and civic-minded heart of hearts, some little part of you agrees with me. Come on, admit it. Oh, well, deep down, I really wish it were true, and it, it might help a little, but there are some pretty basic problems. Our whole economy is based on consumers wanting a lot and greedy corporations getting rich satisfying those wants. If we don't keep stoking this fire, we have depression, poverty, no money left for things like research on solar energy. So, you, so you, you're telling me that Private virtue and moderation might make for public disaster, is that it? Suppose everyone was like me, and they were happy having a 20-year-old car. Detroit would go broke. The whole system would break down. Consumerism makes our world go around. You couldn't have anything like America if our economy was fueled by the wants and needs of, say, virtuous monks and nuns. See, John, you know, I, I see your point. I, there are problems, but I'm not willing to give up just yet. And to help us see that it can be done, we sent our roving philosophical reporter, Caitlin Ash, to find some modern people applying ancient wisdom to their own lives. She files this report. On a recent Saturday, members of a philosophy club at UC Riverside packed their tents and sleeping bags and headed into the desert. There they joined dozens of amateur astronomers, tourists, and scientists for a star party. For hours, they stared at the same night sky that had puzzled ancient philosophers. It feels so small. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's the most important thing is that it kind of reminds you just how uh, small and insignificant we really are. 
Seniors Joshua Bunce and Marcel Lebeau came out to Mojave National Preserve for some of the darkest skies in the country. Low in the horizon, you can see the glow of Las Vegas many miles away. You can see constellations, shooting stars, even the Milky Way. It's awesome, especially Saturn. Saturn's really cool. Why? I mean, it just looks like something out of like an old science fiction movie. It's just this glowing, uh, white, bright white orb with a little ring around it, actually a big ring. The ancients believed the Earth was the center of a finite universe, but not Epicurus. He believed the universe is infinite and that we're all made up of atoms and that we have no immaterial souls. And that got senior Sarah Overholz thinking about the relationship between science and philosophy and the things we've learned since Epicurus's time. He had like a lot of arguments about how you could like to prove that the sun was the size that we saw it was. And of course now we know that's wrong. So um, it is interesting, it's just one of those points where you realize that as science progresses, a lot of philosophy has also changed. We realize that we're not the center of the universe, right? And, and sometimes science can kind of tell us otherwise, right? That because we have science, we can know everything, but we always have to remember that we're just, you know, small. We're small, we're human beings, and, you know, we, we have a very limited perspective on things, you know? These are exactly the kinds of questions Christopher Phillips found himself thinking about back in 1996. So he started a small group that met regularly at a coffee house in Montclair, New Jersey. He called it Socrates Cafe. They'd sit around questioning everything. No discussion was off limits. It can be a typical one from once Socrates investigated to like, what is justice? You know, what is virtue? What is moderation? Or it can be something like, how does a kind, intelligent person gets stuck in a lousy job. Soon, Socrates Cafe took off. Philip started hearing from folks in far-flung places. I started getting letters from people in prison, people in nursing homes, people in elementary school, junior high school, saying, we can't come there. It's too, you know, so can you come to where we are and show us how to do this ourselves? Now, there are upwards of 600 groups across the United States and abroad. The beauty of the group is that it brings the Socratic method to life. When Phillips discusses Socrates, it's like he's talking about a lost friend or a mentor he deeply respects. He helped people bring out ideas that they didn't even know that they harbored within them. I mean, that is genius. You know, you have a certain idea of what you think when you're left to your own devices. It's when you engage in a certain methodical inquiry with other people that um, inspires inspires them to, and it's an unsettling and exhilarating sort of discovery, to tease out ideas that they didn't even know they had. Philip sees this kind of inquiry as vital to our modern lives. At a time when proselytizing and partisanship seem to have reached new heights, Phillips believes we should be surrounding ourselves with people who challenge us. I do not believe you can have a vibrant democracy if we don't have that operating premise that I could be wrong. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Caitlin Esch. You can listen to the rest of this episode by purchasing it on iTunes Music. Or for unlimited listening, subscribe to our archive at philosophytalk.org.